0: Welcome to episode number 65, A Fireside Chat. I'm your host, Damon Soka. Today's episode is in the format of a fireside. Now, Normally, I would have a significant amount of interaction with the attending audience, but because of the format, this one-way podcast, you're going to have to hear it just from my side as I would normally present it. Now, my wife belongs to a young women's group on Facebook, and I realize that sometimes we lack sufficient resources to help those youth in need talk about important issues. I am hoping to give just a little bit of those resources. So here we go. I want you to take a look around at the people in the room. Look closely. Pick out the details of those in the room. I want you to see everyone in the room. Okay, now count the number of people you see. Now, did you see it? When you scanned the room, did you see the markings? They are there. But I am most certain you probably didn't see them this time around. Now, how many people did you count? 5, 10, 15, 30? Now, divide the number of people in the room by 5. What number did you come up with? Okay, now take that number and scan the room. That is the number of people with the markings. Now, did you see the markings that time? Probably not, because you really don't know what you're looking for. Now, I'm now going to tell you that the number you got by dividing by five is the number of people who are likely dealing with mental illness in the room. Even if you scan the room again, again, this time knowing what you're looking to find, You would be unlikely to find them. Mentally ill people don't look mentally ill, and they don't look any different than a normal person, despite what Hollywood and maybe YouTube would have you think. They are hidden among you, and they suffer from an illness that directly affects every portion of their lives. They do have scars and markings, and in many ways, those marks really live only on the inside. Today, we are going to talk about mental illness, specifically anxiety, depression, and bipolar disorder, three of the most common. Yes, there are several others, and there are subcategories of depression and anxiety and bipolar, but we're going to stick with the three major divisions. Now, these three major illnesses are the most common in society and the ones most likely to affect teenagers and young adults. On average, you will find in a room that about 20% or one in five people have some form of these three illnesses. And it is most prevalent in teenagers and young adults. Now, what does it mean to have a mental illness? And how would you know if you even had one? Actually, those are really good questions because many young people suffering without, there are many people young people suffering without knowing that they have this illness. Now that estimate is around 50%. So what does it mean to have a mental illness? First of all, it's not like Hollywood or YouTube. You can forget most of what you've learned from those sources. Mental illness is really a set of internal and external forces on the physical and emotional portions of the body that cause the emotional chemistry in the body to become out of balance. So now let's talk about what that means specifically. First, you should know that mental illness is not like a virus. It has nothing to do with something you did Mental illness is caused by our internal genetics, our personal chemistry, and often external pressures. Now, some good examples of what mental illness looks like are it can be a young person who within a few months has no desire to do anything that they once loved or their desire diminishes greatly. They can feel depressed. This person often has difficulty making choices. Now, this is called lovingly foggy brain. They may cry for no reason. They may have no desire for to go to social events like they once did and they may become irritable when trying to talk with them. It may also be a young person who has drifted into a gaming and entertainment because it keeps their mind off of the feelings of anxiousness and darkness and negativity. Mentally ill persons can also feel lonely, <clears throat> isolated even with someone around they know, depressed, anxious when there is no real reason. <clears throat> worried all the time, have very little energy and desire, find little to no pleasure in life, have drastic changes in sleep patterns and moods. Also included are those who feel sick when particular events happen, particularly social events, or when they have to go to particular places. If you are considering someone who is a member of the church, then you're going to need to add to those changes a no desire to go to church feeling as if they have no testimony, no desire to read scriptures or study, having great difficulty even feeling the Spirit, especially in places where they should. They will have difficulty socializing and really desiring to be around others of the church because they feel guilty, condemned, worthless, and unworthy, which is just actually part of the negative emotions that come with these illnesses. Now, these people may appear on the outside lonely, isolated snobbish even extremely shy they can seem emotional or unemotional and really inactive have you or someone you know ever felt this way or feels this way now what can cause mental illness you can inherit it meaning that it might show up without an external cause in the dna although scientists have yet really defined how this works They just know that there's a higher chance of development when a family member has the illness. It can be caused by traumatic accidents or by abuse. Now, the abuse doesn't have to be significant or the accident extreme, meaning that even a very personal and small events can cause things to occur. It can be caused by high levels of stress. Now, understand when I say high levels of stress, that is relative. What might be a high level of stress for me might not be for you. It can be caused by changes in one's life. Generally, these changes need to be large, like moving or changing relationships, but they don't have to be. I realize that when you step back and really look at mental illness, mental illness isn't like drawing blood and counting the red and white blood cells to see if something's wrong. The questions you're going to ask are more subjective, which means a doctor would ask you about changes in your feelings over time and how you have, and how you have been feeling currently. There is no sad meter or anxiety probe that a doctor can use to tell how unhappy or anxious you are. You are discussing feelings, but those feelings are important to you, important to how you live your life, how you communicate, your desires in life, your dreams, your ambitions, and even choices about things like career, your family, marriage, friendships, children, your membership in the Church of Jesus Christ, and your testimony of it. So, when do you know if it's a mental illness or just something else? Think about these questions. First, how long has your sadness, irritability, or anxiety lasted? Has it been ongoing for at least a couple of months? Has it been ongoing and then stopped and then continued again? Are these things affecting your daily life, meaning has it altered your normal life in significant ways? no desire to come out of your room you watch videos all day you sleep all day rather than do the things you love to do used to love to do do you stress about going places like school church or places with lots of people does this stress keep you from sleeping can you think about other things or does this stress consume your mind constantly does it feel like emotions or the lack of emotions are really controlling you and you not controlling them Do you get sick to your stomach or ill when you have to go to places with lots of people or places that cause you stress? Have your moods changed relatively rapidly in the last several months without any explanation? And now those are just a few of the questions you should ask. For me in my life, it was always a depressed mood and a dull pain in my chest. Yes, mental illness can cause physical pain. I felt, always felt as though I had done something wrong or that something was wrong in my life or my family's life, meaning I felt guilty, condemned, and often worthless. I felt as though I had sinned when there was no sin present. I started to worry and be far more anxious than I normally would. I struggled going to places, especially social places, and I often began to sleep more and interact less. I communicated others less, which simply means I just didn't talk as much, and it was a drastic change that would last. I just didn't have a desire to talk to people or do much of anything. Now, I had bipolar disorder, but bipolar simply means that I experienced both highs and lows with my emotions, and my lows included significant anxiety. I didn't know that I had a mental illness until after I had served a mission. I experienced it through my teenage years, and into my early 20s before i understood that i might have a mental illness and i began some treatment it took quite a while to get my mental illness under uh, control and my illness was moderate to severe and so it caused many problems over several years before i began to really really management now what problems might you ask first i struggled building a testimony because mental illness interrupts the methods by which we build testimonies I difficulty hearing and understanding the Spirit of the Lord. Depression and anxiety interfere with the still small voice and the emotions of peace associated with the Spirit. The mania side, the highs of bipolar, also causes issues or caused issues for me because everything felt right, and you become overconfident. I struggled with my desires to go to church, to read scriptures, and to do other spiritual things. When you feel depressed while doing things that should uplift you and make you feel better, it becomes difficult to even think about doing those things again. It feels so contrary in your mind. What testimony I did gain during those early years was often covered by a thick blanket of negative emotions. I had a testimony, but I could no longer feel it through that thick blanket of negativity and worthlessness that I felt. And with the negative emotions came feelings of guilt, worthlessness, lack of confidence, and faith in the Lord and myself, and pain. Depression pushed and pulled at me so hard that it became difficult to avoid listening to the negative voices in my head and heart. Once I came out of an episode, it took time for my feelings to return to somewhat normal, and I never really had sufficient time to heal before I was already rolling back into another one of my cycles. Now, I personally often made up for my lack of testimony by studying the doctrine of the church and being able to quote scripture and apply doctrine, but mostly to receive praise. I lacked the ability to develop those natural things like charity, kindness, and compassion. It was almost impossible to feel charity and love for others. I couldn't even love myself with my illness and the negativity that was going on in my mind. I had, number two, I had social problems. I always felt different and not part of any group, for that matter. I had always had difficulty understanding people and how they felt. I struggled to understand normal communication methods and social connections. Most people who suffer with mental illness long-term begin to do what's called masking. Masking is simply imitating what you see in others, such as facial expressions, gestures, and outward signs of their emotional states. Now, I didn't feel normal inside, and I didn't know how to express myself, so I masked my emotional state by imitating what I saw in others. Again, this is very common, and it's a common trait of those who suffer with mental illness. It is one of the ways we attempt to function in a society that wants us to look and feel normal. I never had many friends. You need reasonable social skills and emotional stability, and I didn't develop them simply because the illness would not allow I often sought out praise from others as a form of understanding how I was doing. I couldn't trust my emotions, often couldn't feel the Spirit to confirm my standing with the Lord, so I would look to others to confirm that what I was doing was correct and fit into the Lord's commandments and His plan. My consistent need for praise was problematic, especially when I didn't get any praise, or the praise was even more constructive criticism, more negative I couldn't handle no feedback, and I really couldn't handle negative feedback in any form. I did my best to avoid situations and places where my anxiety or my depression would be too much, and I always used the excuse that I was sick. Many times, I was sick to my stomach and had little energy as part of my symptoms. I also had pains in my chest, and so I would often use that as an excuse. Large social events, events away from home where I could not get away from other people, And with people i did not know were very problematic i would look to leadership callings in the church as evidence of how i was doing as a latter-day saint i couldn't evaluate myself spiritually with my illness so i looked to callings and leadership and other people to tell me if i was doing okay spiritually now you can see that mental illness brought me a host of problems and it does for everyone who suffers so if you think that you might have a mental illness Where do you start? What do you do? First of all, tell someone that you trust that can help you. When you do this, understand that not everyone believes mental illness is a true illness. Don't get discouraged by this and give up if this happens. I'm going to ask you just to move on to someone else who can really help you. You're going to need help. Most often, You will start with a medical doctor to rule out chemistry problems that might mimic the symptoms of mental illness thyroid problems viruses like mono and other issues in the body can actually be the source of the problem rather than a mental illness so you do need to rule those out once you rule them out the doctor will likely talk about treatments and what you would like to do medication is one good source of help but it is not the only source There are psychiatrists and psychologists who also have good treatments and brain training advice to help you. You should always seek out some kind of professional help. Self-medicating or self-medication rarely leads to good places, and you might have already started with some type of drugs or painkillers or even internal drugs like relationships and sexual contact or pornography. Now, you won't be able to control the self-medicating until you get the source of the problem fixed, which is the mental illness. Understand that treating mental illness and getting to a good place in the management of that illness is going to take a great deal of time and effort on your part and the part of others who will help. Do not give up just because the first medication didn't work or the second didn't work, or you're not feeling better after the first few sessions with the psychologist or psychiatrist. Mental illness are difficult problems that need really long-term solutions and not quick fixes. Now, once you have started with the doctors or even before, then you also need to start with the Lord and ask him to help you with the treatment process and understanding your illness and how best to manage that illness. You can receive priesthood blessings and counsel from leaders and parents, and most of all, support and help as you start this process of management. You don't have to pass through the illness by yourself. Now, Considering that, what should you do to help someone who has an illness? The first thing you should probably do is really learn all you can about anxiety disorder, depression, or bipolar, depending on how the person you are helping is diagnosed. There are many good resources on the internet beyond the church's website. The National Institute of Mental Health and the National Alliance on Mental Illness are two great organizations, and they have very insightful, important, and critical knowledge that would be important to know about those illnesses. Now, don't, two, don't think you have to diagnose someone or force them to therapy or treatment. Leave the diagnosing and therapy to the professionals, even if you know a great deal about the illness. However, you can encourage those to su- those who suffer to continue to do things in their lives, Continuing to be physically active, which is important. Continuing to be active in the church, probably more important. And continue to do those things in their lives that provide for the Spirit. Most of all, you can continue to encourage them to seek out professional help. Three, you need to make contact with them regularly and talk to them encouragingly and openly. Don't hesitate to talk about the illness and how they're doing. Now, don't talk about it every time you meet, but make sure that they know you care that you aren't going to avoid the subject. When you do make contact, understand that they might not respond as you would think they should and that they may seem as though they don't appreciate the contact you are giving. Now let me tell you as someone who suffers and who did suffer, that they do care, but they are often unable to demonstrate it past the negativity that they feel. Number four, listen to their concerns. You don't have to solve their problems, but listening to their concerns can be important. Understand that they are probably going to be negative much of the time. that it's just part of the illness and the emotional environment which alters their mind and their reality. Understand that they see the world through dark, depressing glasses and really can't see it as you do. Most of all, simply be compassionate and encouraging. I know that it can be difficult to have that type of patience and understanding, I have had the illnesses, severe illnesses, and fully understand them, but even I still sometimes find myself too impatient with some of my children who have had the illness and even my wife who has, had, who has battled depression. Five, don't be afraid to talk about suicide. I know that this sounds counterintuitive, but talking about suicide is actually one of the prevention methods. I'm not saying you have to talk about it all the time, but don't be afraid to bring it up. There are some good resources on the internet about this, and I would recommend that you take a look at those. If you think someone is suicidal and may harm themselves, it is important to tell someone about it. You are not betraying a friend or a family member if you confide in a parent or a leader or someone who can help them with this problem. Understand that self-medication often comes with mental illness. Now, I was pretty fortunate not to have this problem, or even have access to this problem. But it is widespread, and access is significantly enhanced these days. And this even occurs with members of the church. Now, this includes things like illicit drugs or prescription drug abuse, promiscuity, pornography addiction, and even other forms of expression, such as tattoos and piercings, significant clothing changes and habit changes. It can come in forms of alcohol and almost anything they can do to stop or remove the pain and suffering. Understand that things like cutting and self-harm are also part of this category, even though that may not make much sense to someone who is outside of the illness. So this means don't be judgmental when you find out about these things in their lives. They are coping mechanisms for the pain and suffering, that is occurring in their minds. And the negativity keeps them from feeling the spirit and feeling the ability to make the changes they need. Yes, many of those things are still sin, but not probably in the same way as someone who has a normal emotional state. View what they do as self-medication rather than bad choices and encourage them to seek out help for their problems, both the illness and the self-medication. Understand that self-medication rarely goes away on its own. Spirituality and feeling the Spirit is going to be a serious issue for these people. Help them see that it is not that they are guilty or condemned or that they are being punished or that the Lord isn't there, but what they feel are actual symptoms of the illness. This may mean that they are going to say things like, I don't have a testimony anymore. I don't believe that there is a God. They might and are likely to stop attending meetings and activities and not feel worthy to be part of the group. They're going to feel guilty, condemned, and worthless. This is part of the negative environment and emotions that come with anxiety and depression. Encourage them to continue to read scriptures, attend meetings and classes, and be involved as much as they can. While they may not feel like the Spirit is working in their lives, it really is, and we should encourage them to continue to do these things, even though they may not feel that it's working. Now, often an encouraging friend or leader is what they need to help them through some of these episodes and remain active. When they come to church or an activity, don't overwhelm them or point it out to everyone. Just be a loving friend. Involve them as though they were always there. Compliment them, encourage them, give them positive reinforcement and praise, pointing out the good they do, Finally, treat them as though they didn't have the illness in the sense that nobody likes to think that they're helpless. Try not to treat them as fragile, disabled, or dysfunctional. If you want them, however, it's important if you want them to do something like read in the class, out loud, or say a prayer, or give a talk, you might want to ask, or testimony, you might want to ask ahead of time and encourage them. Surprises are generally not welcomed, especially for those who suffer with anxiety disorder. If they think that they might have to do something by surprise, they might not come to church. Now, in the end, imagine what it might be like for them based on what you know and what you've learned to be true. Be compassionate, loving, and kind. Remember that it's an illness, not the person, and that the illness is altering the reality of the person. If you love the person and work with the illness, in the end, you will make a difference in their lives. Keep up the work you are doing and have faith in the Lord. In the end, keep fighting and the Lord will do his part.